get your head in the game. What is going on, everybody? This is the Ball Up Top podcast for March 29th, 2022. I'm your host, Mike. I hope everybody's had a good weekend. Wow, we got a lot to go over today. Um, format for the show this week, we're going to cover some news first, talk a little bit about like what's what to expect out of the rest of the season, some things we have going on here, and then we're going to go into our ongoing series about reviewing the winning time. The story of the Lakers. This week's episode was Who the Fuck is Jack McKinney? And we're going to talk a little bit about Jack McKinney and why we're at it. Um, for those that haven't yet, please go out and check out our Instagram at Ball Top Podcast, our Twitter at Ball Up Top Pod. Follow. We'd like to hear from you guys. Comment. You know, we usually get in a lot of those goat discussions online, especially I'm, I'll just tell you my approach. I kind of, I, I, I don't like discrediting great players. And what I notice a lot with Twitter and Instagram and these conversations, it's all about like, oh, well, so-and-so can't do this or so-and-so can't do that. And they, or they played against plumbers or this era isn't tough enough. Like it's, it's a whole lot of hating and discrediting in an effort to elevate their player. I do get in a lot of those discussions and I try not to go down the hatred road more of just the honest road, but I would love to hear from you guys. Um, but yes, so check out our socials. Thursday will be our next episode of basketball philosophy. This week we're going to, we're going to break away from the pro ranks and we're going to talk about the final four. Um, the concept, what it means to basketball as a whole, what it means to me. Um, I'm really looking forward to that because also coming out this weekend will be a bunch of things on our social media and probably our YouTube channel as we uh, as we actually are going to New Orleans to embark on the final four festivities. So I can't promise the frequency things will go up. I just can promise things are going to be going up all weekend. Hope that you guys enjoy it. Um, and lastly, on Sunday, we also have our next episode our next youtube episode of the uh ball up top podcast youtube show which is the nba top shot nfts um we started this thing a few weeks ago where it's in and it's basically just us growing this from nothing from not really knowing much about nfts not really knowing much about that culture how it works not really knowing much about youtube but we're slowly progressing and we're, we're learning how things go. It's where when we get to a certain point, which we, I'm going to work out, it's probably going to be 50 subscribers. I'm thinking we hit that point. We'll probably start giving away some NFT. So tune into that, subscribe, listen, like. And with that, we're going to get on to, uh, we're going to get on to the news. So. You know, we're about 10 games away from the end of the regular season. So there's, we're, we're kind of at that spot in the season where a, a lot of teams are still competing and vying, but they're also trying to stay healthy. And some teams will sacrifice wins if they feel like their space is, if they feel like their spot is locked, I should say. Um, but more on that in a little bit. Uh, Joker, Nikolai Jokic, has uh, odds-on favorite to repeat as MVP. 
there was a straw poll held as the final one before before the you know the end of the season before the awards are announced and it, Joker finished with 62 first place votes and a total of 860 points and B finished with 29 first place votes and 719 vo- uh, first place uh, 719 points Giannis finished third with nine first place votes and 593 now how did best go about this I what Joker is doing from an analytic standpoint is freaking amazing. I, and I'm not going to sit there and discredit him because he like he he's been awesome. But they're the sixth seed, and it's not like they're like close to the top spot. Like they're 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 ways out. And I know he's been doing what hasn't doesn't have had to have Jamal Murray, had to have Michael Porter Jr. So I get all that, and I don't want to punish him. But at the same point in time, I'm a real big thing on wins. If you're st- you've heard me say it before, if you listen to our show, if your stats aren't leading to victories, then they don't really have the weight that you think they do. And they are winning; like they're almost a sixty percent. So I can't say like they're not winning, but I just question when you have somebody at such a low seed. Where literally there's what I want to say, well, there's four teams in the east, and there is five teams in the west, all with better records. For him to be that, it's not about him winning, it's more about for him to be that dominant in the voting has me a little apprehensive. But Joker has been incredible. I'm not going to sit there and downplay what he's done because, like, if you look at his stats. And I'm not going to go into the analytics, so we'll just keep it the basic stats. I mean, he... <clears throat> Excuse me. So he's averaging 26.3 points a game, which is roughly what he did last year at the MVP. He's shooting a percentage point higher. He's grabbing three rebounds more. His assists only took a .3 dip. His steals have gone up. His blocks have gone up. Like, he has played more dominant. So the question is going to be like, is that enough? Like, I, there's as much as I love Giannis, and I my my vote would actually probably go for Giannis because I'm big on the defensive side of the ball. It's going to probably come down to Joker and Embiid, and it's going to depend on if they feel like rewarding Joker for the amazing analytical season he's had or rewarding Embiid for Philly still being in the mix, even though the whole Ben Simmons drama played out, which I don't think people can, you know, talk about that enough. Like, Embiid basically kept Philly as a contender, despite the fact that their second most talented player wasn't playing. So, it, it's, uh, it's, but it's going to come down to those two, like... As much as I as much as I love me some Giannis and how he works and how he plays and his defense particularly, like it's going to come down to those two. Um, Evan Mobley of the of the Cavs sprained his ankle. Um, the X rays were negative, but there's no word yet how long he'll be out. Hopefully, this is like a light little thing where he's back and he's good for the playoffs because the Cavs have been fun to watch, which I I really didn't think that was even possible when the season started. 
Um, and he's a big part of that. So I'm hoping that like he that doesn't ruin their first playoff experience as a team. But we'll have to wait and see. Um, I mean, Garland, he he he's showing me that he's got enough to sit there and carry them. But I don't know, like they're already the seventh seed. I think that they're uh, the chances of getting past a Boston or Bucks or Philadelphia or Miami getting past one of them, them without Mobley. It's already going to be hard with Mobley. Without Mobley, I just don't think it's possible. Um, in other news, uh, the Pistons' Jeremy Grant is done for the season with a calf injury. There, there's no real reason to play him at this point. He, yeah, he, he's been he's been a stud for them this year. But the Pistons obviously are not going anywhere. And Grant having an injury, I mean, the Pistons got 20 wins on the season. Like we were to the point where he's it's just not important for him to play, especially if he has an injury. I mean, he's led the team of scoring with 19.2 points a game. And he's he's been a solid defender. So the, yeah, it's go ahead and you know, you go ahead and play out with your young guys for the rest of the season and recruit. I mean, the question is going to really be is do they try to what do what do they do with Jeremy Grant? Like that's that's gonna be the million dollar question for the Pistons because during the trade deadline, there was a whole lot of speculation that Grant was going to be moved. And I don't know how many how serious any of those trade talks were because, you know, you, a lot of people's names are floated, but considering that the, the level in which he's played and the fact he was on a team that wasn't going to make the playoffs, it wouldn't have surprised me if, yeah, it just, it just wouldn't surprise me if that was the case. It, but, you know, the Pistons, I don't know. He fits them. And, I would really like to see what it is that team can grow into. It, it, it's, it's hard to call. I'd like to see what they can grow into, but at the same point in time, I don't have faith in that organization as much as they just have some really nice players who, that if you break code, right system, you know, could be something. But Grant's going to be an expiring contract next year. So they're going to have to figure it out. Whether it's this summer, the trade deadline, or they're resigning, they're going to have to figure something out as it pertains to what they're going to do with Jeremy Grant. Overall, it probably would be smartest to trade him this offseason, get what they can get for him. But with it also being an expiring deal, it's going to be, I'm kind of, I don't know how much draft compensation, which is, what I'm assuming they'd probably be looking for, and I, but I could be wrong about that, that they're actually going to get. Um, so, yeah, let's, let's go ahead and talk about the playoffs and the standings now. Since, I mean, that's basically it for the news. It's, yeah, the season's winding down. Um, we have... The East is amazingly, amazingly intriguing. And we'll go down to the last day of the season. As I believe you have four teams all within a game of each other for that number one spot. So like tonight's game against the, the with the Bucks and Sixers, that's a big game. And 
these like one like one or two wins here or there is actually going to change the course of the standings in the East, or keep it the same depending on who's winning. Um, also look out for that five through seven. Once again, one game splits those three those three teams up, and if you're in that seventh spot, you get stuck in the play-in. And let's be honest, we all know Brooklyn is going to be in the play-in. Whether it's 8, 9, or 10, they're going to be in the play-in. Hunt, play in, and you don't want to see Brooklyn early. You don't. Between Kyrie and Durant and the rest of the players, they have enough talent on that team that if they put it all together, they're just going to be a miserable out. Right, right now, Brooklyn's in 8th. Let's say they stay in 8th. Which, you know, it, it, which they're in that same grouping. I mean, they could catch up to seven, but they're in that grouping of eight, nine, ten right now. If Brooklyn stays there, that means Miami has them in the first round. Honestly, that series could go either way. If they go to seven, that means Philly has them in the first round. Honestly, that series could go either way. So, you don't want to... Like, Brooklyn is just, it makes the East a, a mess, considering it was already a mess to begin with. Um, in the West, so the top, I, I don't want to say the top six spots are just locked. Because I don't think that they're locked. But, that what it is, because Minnesota does have an outside chance of getting to six. Or five. Like, they're close enough. But the way I'm looking at it now, you got the three of the play-in spots, they're, they're locked. Well, actually, all four, all four, the ten teams have qualified for the playoffs or play-in. The Lakers are in a play-in spot as it stands right now, but they're only a half a game up on San Antonio. The worst thing in the world would be for the Lakers to fall out. And it's like, why is that the worst thing? Well, not making the playoffs means that your your hopes and your chances and your dreams are done. For that season, they're done. And as long as they're in, they have a puncher's chance because of the talent they have on that roster. But they keep losing to New Orleans, which means even if they are in, if they, if they don't finish with a better record than New Orleans, then that means they're going to end up playing them in New Orleans in the first round. Um. The Clippers are pretty much locked at eighth. And Minnesota is in seventh with a chance of six or five, but I'm, I'm pretty sure that I, I think they're going to probably remain seven. The West has less volatility. Like Memphis, I mean, the Spurs, uh, the Spurs, the Suns have run away with the West. They, they have the conference locked. Golden State without Steph. And the way Memphis has surged, even without Ja, like there's a five-game difference with about 10 games. 10 games or so left, I, I just don't see that gap closing that much. I do think that Dallas or Utah, if the Golden State keeps falling, could capitalize on that. But yeah, like this is where we're at. There's a little limited news. It's all about results at this point. Um, so what? Let's talk a little bit about what's going on. Like I mentioned earlier, going to the Final Four, um, we're probably going to play some sports parlays. Um, 
I I'm looking forward to interacting with some of you guys. So if you, you know, like if we're doing a live, which I plan on doing, whether it's Instagram or YouTube or both, like feel free, chime on in. It's the final four is an exciting thing. Um, I know like I'm an NBA guy, but I'm I, like, I'm going to tell you, and this bleeds in a little bit to Thursday show, but understand like, the best basketball, not the highest talent, not the you know, not the best players, but the most complete game of basketball is still played on the college level. Matter of fact, I go as far to say that's the only place that it's played at. Because in high school, what you have is you come across is you mo- a lot of times you have one player on that team, and that player is the man, and everything revolves around him. In the NBA, it's very similar to that. But in college, because every player that's on that roster was the man on their high school team, that's not saying there's not a hierarchy, but it does balance out a little bit more. Like the off, more offenses of run, more strategies implied. Like, And what's so great about the NCAA tournament as a whole is anything you want to see in basketball, you're going to see during the tournament. And that's an incredible thing to know that's coming every year. Like the NCAA is what made me fall in love with basketball to begin with. That tournament is just insane. It's my personal, my first personal trip to the final four, which has me really excited. So I hope that you guys tune in for that. But, you know, enough putting it off. Let's just go ahead and jump on into winning time. Um, I like this episode. It, this episode was, I feel like it's the best episode since the first episode. Um, it, the, the title of it is, is, Who in the Fuck is Jack McKinney? And Jack McKinney, well, we, let's start, we start off in 68 with, with Jeannie seeing her dad at a restaurant being promiscuous. And it is what it is. I guess we're like the, the, the producers and director's goals were just to try to establish, you know, who Jerry Best has always been and how his relationship with Jeannie evolved. Um, it went to, you know, they went to the funeral. I can't even remember the guy's name, but he died last episode. He was there for one episode, so I didn't, but it was Jerry Tarkanian's friend. Jerry Best gets slapped. I, like, a lot of this, I think, they just made just for, like, extra. I don't know why they need it, but, you know, so be it. Um, we go, we see Paul Westhead, who's played by Jason Siegel, get hired. He was, I think at that point, he was a former coach at LaSalle. I'm not sure, but he was an assistant coach for, for uh, McKinney at St. Joe's. And so he gets hired. Now, Paul West said he, he's going to be prominent. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. I should have said we're going to show, but Paul West said, like, he becomes the Lakers head coach. So, this is not, he's not insignificant to this. And I, I really like the casting of Jason Siegel, too. Um, he, he plays like the intellectual coach that West said it was. So, I'm good with that. We meet Michael Cooper. It's kind of, eh, you know, like the, the guy playing Cooper, he, he has a good look. But I've heard so many Michael Cooper interviews and conversations that I didn't feel the Michael Cooper conversation like I have with a lot of the other guys. Like 
I felt the Magic Johnson. I felt the Jerry Buss. I felt some of the Jerry West. I'm not really feeling the coop yet, but I don't know how much, how prominent he's going to be. We also have our Pat Riley, Meeks, Magic, and Coop, who are rooming up being roommates. It's kind of like, you know, it, it, it's it's a neat little moment. It's nothing really super special. It's they keep doing the stamp of loser coming across to Pat Riley. It's one of the mini animations in this episode. And I think that's more about that. I don't know if it's how much about how they see him, but they did kind of paint him that way, but also how he is feeling about himself. So that's, I'm interested to see, like the same with Westhead, like I'm interested to see where the, how the, the relationships develop, especially because like those players in the 80s, they loved Riley. They would have walked through walls for him. So I'm, I'm really interested to see where they go. And they, they got their first team meeting. And Cap basically walks up to Magic. Well, Magic try. Cap walks by, and Magic tries to introduce himself. And Cap tells him, he basically says, I, he says, I want a glass of OJ in my morning paper. It's 6 a.m., separated by sections, news first, arts and leisure, and finally sports. And then he basically walks away. And I, I liked it. I liked it a lot because... People kind of forget, like, there's, there was a time where rookie hazing, I don't know if it still works in the league, but it still it was around. And I'm for rookie hazing, not to the point where it's like you're just, the things that happen in college for, for fraternities and stuff like that, like, that's, that's uncalled for. But a little bit of humbleness to be like, you know, like respect your veterans, you know, bringing popcorn or, you know, or being responsible for breakfast, those kind of things. I liked. I think it, I think that goes a long way in building team camaraderie. So there was a little moment with Cooper and Nixon where he where Nixon calls Cooper a rookie and he's like, "That was my second year," but he kind of gets ignored. It, it kind of shows like where Cooper's place is in the game right now. That he's just he's un, he's very unsure of himself. Like he's just trying to make the team, which is kind of neat when you know how far he's going to grow. So McKinney has he gets he meets Jerry Bus and Jerry's like talking about throwing a party and McKinney's like no he wants to get to work so he has a team meeting and he break down film from the previous season and he's very complimentary of these highlights but every time after the highlight he would say oh 19 seconds 20 seconds and he would just go through he would go through the time it took them and. McKinney is basically the grandfather uh, for the NBA of the seven seconds or less offense. Now, he didn't run a seven seconds or less, but he was all about pace and push. And so, like, he, like he was the grandfather of it. And to see, like, this whole little, th- this dynamic play out of how he addressed the players. And they were impressed with their own highlights. And he's just like, you're taking too long. Like, you're taking too long. The whole, like you see several points in time throughout the show where during practice he's like run it again, run it again, because he's trying to get them to play with purpose. See, like the NBA up until that point, the league was played, except for a few exceptions, Portland, where McKinney was an assistant coach, is one where everything was very deliberate. 
you knew where the ball was going. You just, but if you had the right pieces, you just couldn't stop that. And so watching these, watching these adult players kind of get a, a polite dress down as to where they were going and watching them feel just like puzzled was kind of neat. Uh, he does a, there's a wonderful, a wonderful scene throughout this where he's, where he's he's comparing what he does like basketball to music, comparing classical music to the game currently, and kind of starting to go into the chaos and and comparing his to, to jazz and how it comes together and it, it's really like it's really a beautiful piece of writing. If you haven't seen the episode, I do suggest you go and check it out because it it does very much explain what that offense was, what emotion offense is like. And I'm not talking about half-court motion. I mean, full-court motion offense. Um, Kareem at one point accuses it of being street ball. But it's not really street ball. It's, it's got the improv of street ball, but the intelligence of playing a team game. It's very similar to how Golden State plays. It's like there's a lot of improv in Golden State. People don't think this, but the Bulls triangle they used to run, and the Lakers triangle, like there was a lot of improv in that. Now, because you had anchors like Kobe and Shaq and Jordan and Pippen, well, not so much Pippen, but because you had these offensive anchors, you would run it off of it. But there was very much a lot of improv, which gave, which empowered everyone to touch the ball and move the ball and just get to get to the do what's best for the team. So there, you also see McKinney closing practice. Um, for those that don't know, closed practice is basically means it's, it's players and coaches and that's it. And how that's kind of driving Jerry West nuts. Um, then there was some, we also had some 80s, we had some 80s like animation, I guess, to do with magic, talking about what he wanted to do. I like some of the artistic choices they make with this. With the show, I should say. Some of the animation stuff, the, you know, cut away to the, you know, breaking the fourth wall. I really wasn't a fan of that. Kind of took me out of the moment. But the big thing that you're learning throughout this whole thing is the style that McKinney wants to play fits Magic and not the rest of his team. But that doesn't mean so much that it works because you see where Magic tries to throw some really nice dimes and they don't get caught because nobody's expecting to see him. You you see Kareem, he he kind of refuses doing some drills, and he's not belligerent about it. He's just like, no, nah, I'm not doing that. He's he, they've had this doing the scene where it's called the McKinney Mile, where if you don't beat Jack McKinney running a mile, you have to run a second one. You see where Kareem just stops, he starts heading back. So I'm really interested in seeing like how that dynamic plays out. But I know that it's not going to be a lot. The one thing I'm going to say about the show before I continue is that it sometimes leaves you hanging. Like it starts these story threads, and it's almost like a micro story. Um, the Jerry Cartagena is a really good version of a micro story. It lasted three episodes, but not really. It was like the end of one episode. I focus on the second, another episode, and then ends up a short blip on this episode. So they, they have these micro stories, which is good for character development, but sometimes you want a little bit more. 
And for those, like I said, spoilers, for those who don't know, like Jack McKinney only ended up coaching, I want to say like 14 games or something like that. I'd have to look it up. But before he had a bicycle accident. So I don't, you know, like I, I already know, like this is this is at best is a micro story. But it's all about contributing to the greater whole. Um, they have this story with going on with Jerry Buss, of course, going about not having the money and how he, his mom comes up with the idea to give the Lakers to his ex-wife and the forum and Jerry keep the loan so that, so that he, he could just commit to, I don't know, what is it committing to uh, bankruptcy? Why? And, the, and this team can still function. Um, I have not been able to find anything that corroborates this, so I'm not sure if this is real or if this is just something they added in. Um, overall, good episode. Really liked it. Liked that there was a scene where the team came to Jerry West and basically were like trying to do a mutiny against McKinney and how that didn't work as soon as McKinney put Nixon and Magic in the backcourt together. So there you see the chemistry developing. Really good show, really good episode. It's, it's probably my second favorite episode behind the very first one I saw. Um, overall, the show keeps me intrigued. So with Jack McKinney, you know, like he, he was an assistant coach for Portland. And he, Dr. Jack Ramsey, the Hall of Fame coach, basically gave McKinney a lot of credit for being the reason in which they were able to win their championship. And so he was kind of like looked at as being this basketball savant. It wasn't like a popular known savant. It's not like, you know, it's not like how Stephen A. Smith uses the word savant today to talk about any number of people. But he was really smart. People just didn't know if his style would work. And, I mean, he's, like I said earlier, he is, he's kind of like the grandfather of the seven seconds or less. He's the, the, the father of Showtime. He doesn't get the credit for it, but that's, he is that guy. Um. So he signs with the Lakers, as mentioned earlier. He has a bicycle accident. Paul Westhead takes over. Eventually, the Lakers have had to fire McKinney because you can't have two head coaches. And I want to say in like a year or two later, maybe the next year, Jerry Buss helps get him a job coaching the Pacers because he feels guilty that he had to fire him. He knows what he meant to creating the vision that Dr. Buss wanted. So, he he wins coach of the year for the Pacers, I want to say in 81. Got him to the playoffs for the first time since they were in the ABA. And then he kind of falls off for the next few years. Ends up getting fired. Signs with the Kings. I think he starts 1-8 and eight before he resigns there. And that, and that, in a nutshell, was his career. But he's one of those guys. Like, there's this group of guys who truly don't get the credit they deserve for their contributions to the game. And he's one of them. Um, I put him in the same realm as a guy like Tex Winter, who's kind of the, for the father of the triangle. And people are like, oh, the triangle, though it doesn't get used anymore. It's partly because it's a thinking man's offense. And a lot of players, to be honest, don't really want to think. They just kind of want to just read and react. And... But like, just like Showtime, like Showtime got them five rings. 
the triangle is responsible for another what, 11 rings. Like there are these guys, these assistants, usually they're assistants too, by the way, who come up with these concepts and these ideas and have these, and the head coach buys it and it just works. Okay. That was like the seven seconds or less. Like that's, that was Dan Tony and directly taken from what those Laker teams were doing. So Jack McKinney, like I, I was, I had forgotten. I'll tell you like how little known he is. I had forgotten all about Jack McKinney. Like I was waiting on the coaching search for them to hire Paul Westhead. And I was like, Oh, there's Jack McKinney. Like now it, it made sense to me. Um, but yeah, overall really good show. Hope you guys are enjoying it. If you're not, if you're if you're not, like, let me know why. Hit me up in uh, the comments. Go on to our Instagram page. Send me a message at at Ball of Top Podcast or on Twitter at, at Ball of Top Pod. Tell me what you like, what you don't like. Um, like, subscribe, follow, review, all those things, including with the YouTube. Make sure you check out our NFT show. We have a new show that goes up every Sunday. I'm also on the YouTube channel this week. We're going to be having some extra stuff coming up because of the Final Four. Looking forward to that. But overall, everybody, you know, stay safe. Stay healthy. Enjoy basketball. And I say this every once in a while. It's not really a mantra, but like, I get everybody has their favorites. And the media tells you a bunch of things. Do not let their opinions form your opinions. You know, like we may disagree, but if you if you have your opinion, like I'm always wanting to hear it. But I when I hear people just regurgitate the Skip Baylesses of the world or the Nick Wrights of the world, and yes, I did mean to use both of those two specifically, even though they're on opposite sides of the basketball spectrum. Like you, you're you're not you're presenting yourself like you have knowledge, but you don't have any. Because neither one of those guys, and the, how they let themselves be portrayed on television, neither one of them have any business talking about basketball. Well, Shannon Sharp either. Have any business talking about basketball. I'm not saying they don't. I'm not saying they don't know better. But how it comes out on TV, they really shouldn't be. So please, like, make, like watch some things and make your own opinions. It is okay to criticize your favorite player. It is okay to admit that, that your favorite player has issues or errors or makes poor choices at times or isn't perfect. It's okay for the GOAT conversations to point out that the greatest players of all time made mistakes. You do not have to force conversations where somehow your favorite player is the best at everything because you, you just come across as really silly with that. But that's all I got for you guys this week. So tune in on Thursday for Basketball Philosophy, where we're going to talk about the NCAA tournament. And peace. Get your head in the game.